everybody, welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? We're here again. It's me, Baz, and over there's Gaz. Hello, mate. Hello. How's it going? It's going all right. How's it going with you? Yeah, it's all right. I'm, I've had quite enough of the real world. Let's talk about imaginary stuff. Yeah, quite right. Quite right, too. So welcome, everybody. It's, uh, it's me and Gaz talking rubbish again about games and gaming. Um, but before we do that, Gaz, we've had some feedback. People have been reaching out to us through the various internet fora. I'll be very uh, excited about that, yeah. I know. I know. I'm expected to get a postcard next because it's coming in all kinds of different ways. We've had tweets, we've had emails, we've had sound files. So I'm waiting on carrier pigeons and postcards and it's all coming to us. So some really good feedback. Thank you, everybody who takes the time to get in touch with us. Um, about our last episode, which is about DIY, not the B&Q sort, more like the D&D sort, about putting together your own stuff and so on. So apparently we've... Um, We've either touched a nerve or, or made something happen anyway, but there are, there are people who are, are scurried off to go and get the graph paper and start getting some stuff down now. So that's really good, isn't it? Yeah, I'm excited about that. It's, it's really good when you you see a little bit of a flurry across the Twitter sphere and the face ache and all the rest of it, and people seem to get a little bit excited about it. And people getting excited about games is what we're all about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we wanted to uh, to not get drunk on our own champagne with that. I, don't, I think that's the saying. I've heard that somewhere in a marketing <laughs> speak. So, <laughs> so we, we did a bit ourselves, didn't we, mate? So, um, you know, massive thank you to all of our patrons who keep this show on the road. We, we honestly, we literally could not do it without you. We, we need your support. We're ever so grateful for what you do. And, and as you know, every now and again, um, we drip out some stuff to you guys, some, some little bit of hobby love. And, uh, yeah, really pleased to announce that uh, the first Smart Party scenario is pretty much ready to hit the printing presses. Um, and by printing presses, I mean the photocopier at work that I'm going to nick while no one's looking. And uh, we should be able to get get our first uh, Smart Party scenario out to all of our backers. So if you are a patron um, and, you know, follow, follow the links in the show notes to get to there, uh, we'll get something into your inbox definitely within the next couple of weeks. I'm going to look at getting the hard copies out fairly shortly after that as well. Um, and that's our little thank you to you. And uh, and cheers once again for, for being our patron. Um, and guys, I think we've got some stuff lined up for the future as well, if we can get our fingers busy on keyboards this summer. Yeah, there's a few bits and pieces. I've been getting some words down. So it'll be good once we get our little uh, adventure out there for people to have a look, give us some feedback. And then if we're on the right track, I'm pretty sure we can, uh, we can get a few more things out to our patrons and other people as well. We might even write some stuff so we can stick out there on uh, drive-thru or something to share more of our gaming love around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really good to get stuff out there. So the DIY episode, it's, it's obviously it's follow that website link if you want to go back and listen to the last episode, but it seemed to strike a chord with people. So give that a listen if you haven't already. Um, but if you're joining us today for the first time or the first time in a while, it's... um. Well, it's time to put on your bow ties and your tuxedos because it's awards season. Uh, we are recording this just before Gen Con um, starts up in Indianapolis. Uh, that starts up in a couple of days. And one of the big things about Gen Con is the awards that are given out. And you'd have to be living under a rock, I guess, if you've not heard of the Ennies, which is the industry's version, I suppose, of the Oscars or the Razzies, all kinds of things like that. But it's the industry awards, and they're going to go out. Well, probably by the time this podcast lands with you, they're either being announced or they're just about to be announced. Um, the nominations have been up for quite a long time. It's too late to, to vote for anything. So, you know, because we're on the cutting edge, aren't we, guys? We thought we'd talk about the Ennies when there's nothing you can do about it. 
Well, we didn't want to unfairly influence the opinion because if we've learned one thing from going to Expo, I supported uh, Sin's RPG and also Tales of the Wendigo uh, from Paul Bardowski. And both of those won awards at Expo. So I'm now worried about the insane mad powers that I have that if we recommended some stuff now, they would definitely win. And that we just don't want to influence decisions and let the gaming community decide for themselves. I think. Quite right. I mean, the smart hearty block vote of both our listeners and us two is, is definitely going to be enough to push Earth Dawn back to number one, despite having been released 20 years ago. <laughs> it just needs nominated over there, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> fantastic segue, mate. Let's talk about nominations, because that's that's where we're going to go with uh, today. So we're going to have a look at some of the some of the main categories uh, that the Ennies are considering as we speak. Um, and we're going to look at some of the stuff that was nominated for this year and maybe chuck in a few things about maybe what should have been nominated and wasn't. Um, if your inbox was anything like mine over the last month, I've had an awful lot of mails from uh, from publishers saying, please give us a vote. Some of them I'd heard of. So that was novel. Many of them I had not. So if nothing else, it's opened my eyes to, to quite a bit of stuff out there. And I suppose before we get started, guys, one thing I wanted to ask you was, was whether you share this opinion, really. Is, is the gaming hobby now too big to get your arms around it? Because it seems so vibrant and the new release schedule that drops into my inbox um, every week is now so long that I can't, I don't think I can read all of it every week. And that's just the stuff that's released, never mind any detail on it. There is stuff that's out there right now that, you know, I used to know the vast majority of anything that dropped in the gaming hobby and probably owned 90% of it. And that is not the case now and hasn't been for some time. Is, is that your experience? Yeah, definitely. It's got it's got too big now. There is the small press scene, which obviously pumps out all kinds of stuff constantly. So that in itself would be impossible to like hunt down everybody's blog, website, drive through page, all the rest, and try and capture everything. They'll all read it. Uh, but I think even the big boys these days have got so much going on, and there's so many kickstarters. And the thing I think with Ennies for me was I immediately started thinking about. What's that, what actually counts? Like, what's available now? Yeah. What's just in a Kickstarter but going to be delivered? What's just Kickstarted? What's a new version of something that we've had before? There seems to be so many different avenues of gaming at the minute to try and keep tabs on all of it because insanity. It's a full-time job almost. So people tend to have their areas of stuff they're interested in. So I like, I'm aware vaguely of pies or things, but yeah. I don't really pay much attention to it. And I'm kind of like vaguely aware of what's going on with the new vampire, but I'm not following all the posts and blogs and videos that go along with that as well. I think for most games, you kind of get a bit of a Venn diagram of some that you're interested in and some that you aren't, which will overlap with someone else's view, but each of us has kind of got our own little sphere of stuff that we try and keep on top of and then the rest of it. Unless you actually meet someone at a convention or play a game or whatever else, you tend to like lose it because there's too much going on. Mm. Yeah, and, and also, you know, there's no one-stop shop for information anymore either, if there ever was, but with the atomization. That's another word I learned in marketing. Um, of of the hobby, we don't have the single central forums that people go to anymore to to get their news digest. And and I guess it's worth pointing out as well the Ennies. Um, for those of you who didn't know, it's uh, it's it comes from the En World website. So the En in any stands for Eric Noah, who got that launched quite a long time ago. And for a very long time, that was pretty much a D and D focused website. And uh, well, it still is really. So if you weren't into D&D, you may not know too much about EN World and thus the Ennies. However, looking at what's been nominated for this year, it doesn't look particularly like a D&D type thing. So it is the whole church of role-playing. Um, 
and you know they they are a good place to go for news. So if you do want to know what's out, that's the place to go. But it will still take you some scrolling just to go through. I don't know the PDFs that came out last week. It's probably a couple of pages long. It's incredible, really. Yeah, I think probably possibly the uh, disappointing thing about the Annies is that some things seem to get lots of nominations. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the same as something like the Oscars, for example, where the, the hot film or whatever it is will get seven or eight or ten different nominations in all these different categories and you know, forever being called out. And that just feels a little bit like, oh, God, give it best picture and then let someone else have a bit of glory for some other stuff. It, so that, there's that element to it. So I don't think it's unique to gaming or the, the sure. in particular, but it does feel a little bit disappointing when you scroll through the nominations you see the same thing nominated half a dozen, eight times. Mm. I'd like to see because there's, as we've said there's so many different games it'd be good to see a variety of games in different categories to get them in yes now I mean the categories is well I mean there's a lot of categories in the Yenies already I mean vast amount of categories it's kind of like the Grammys you know when they do best male backing vocal in a country cross punk song <laughs> from a movie <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. there's a lot there's a lot of those, uh, uh, you know, and some of it's absolutely fine by me. Makes perfect sense, and and I don't, you know, I don't begrudge anybody being nominated for anything. That's, I'm not having a go at them at all. But but when you see that you've got, for example, we'll talk about this. I guess we've got best rule system seems legit. Mm-hmm. We've got best setting seems legit. And we've got best game, which is probably going to be both of those added together. And uh, but then there's a best product and a best adventure, and and there's an awful lot of, of splintering of categories and. And I must admit that if I if I just say a category now, I mean it's, it's kind of near the top, but there's like best aid stroke accessory. I'm kind of struggling to think of six things that came out between May 2017 and April 2018 that would even fit into that category. And again, I'm not saying my fingers completely on the pulse these days, but but what are they? And I, I have to look through the current nominations in there to see what that even means. And it looks like GM screens and some other stuff. Um, but the fact that yeah. nothing from Old Rolled Up is in there, just an example. I know that all rolled up do fantastic stuff and it's always bringing out new stuff as well. And it's just like, I'm scrolling up and down to see where their kit is at. And if it doesn't fall into that category, what does it fall into? Yeah, and I think it's one of those categories that's there for the sake of it. I don't know, it feels like it to me. I guess that other award ceremonies are the same. I mean, they kind of have a bit filler before you get to the mm-hmm. big ones that you want to tell people about. But yeah, sure. the, the, the current nominees, there's... there's a bunch of gem screens in there, and I think we discussed on previous cast that gem screens are really great. They're sometimes okay, quite often don't have all the tables that you want on there, and things you don't want, like long lists of equipment, which you don't need to look up behind the screen at most notice. And I stopped using a gem screen years ago, so like even the fact that they still exist is a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah. I can't imagine one getting an award and someone then rushing out to buy everything associated with it because the gem screen is brilliant, if you know what I mean. It's not a sell point to go and get other stuff. Whereas best writing or best interior art or one of the categories feels like something where I then want to investigate the game further. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So do you do you want to pick a category, mate? And then I guess we'll we'll have a look at what's in it and have a bit of a chit chat about what we think about that. Anything strike your eye? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to go for the big hitters straight away, but I feel like I might have to. So <laughs> let, let's start with best adventure. Okay, it's the top one. Is alphabetically that makes sense to me. I'm pleased you chose them. Yeah, <laughs> save you scrolling through your notes. Um, so I like it because there's a bit of a mix there. Um, I'm not. I don't know how they compare to each other in a way. 
I, I can tell that it's just um, people have nominated something that is an adventure, sort of stick in that category. So it feels like one that might have got yeah. been able to get broken down a little bit, or perhaps it's just good that it's diverse. So in there you've got Delta Green Knight of the Opera, which is a good set of one shots. Mm-hmm. So that's one sort of thing. I think that's that's worthy of uh, a nomination, certainly. The Tiny Serpent from uh, Chaosin, which is their great pulpy campaign, written by Dowood et al., who were involved in the new rewrite of the 7th edition rules. Uh, and that's a really cool uh, campaign, and great because it demonstrates what you should do with Pulp Cthulhu if you've got that. But that's a completely different product than a, a good set of one-shots you can run, which is the previous example I just mentioned, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got an OSR hex crawl in there, which is different, again, from the two products, so that's quite good. The Dark Hot Springs Island. Dark Hot Hot Springs Island, sorry. Um, and then there's, there's something from Green Run from the Blue Rose RPG, and that, that was curious to me, because I don't know what the Blue Rose RPG is, apart from Romantic Fantasy. Okay. Is that, yep. do you know more of the yep. meal on that one? Yeah, yeah. So that came out of the D20 boom first time round. Um, if you've read books by uh, Anne McCaffrey, you would be fairly close right. to understanding what that sort of stuff was about. Gotcha. Uh, there was a Seven Worlds campaign book, uh, which I don't know. I, I read the. I've not read it, so that's that's my first point. But um, looking at it, it seemed to be a Savage Worlds game. Uh, but the main selling point was that it was realistic, so a bit mm-hmm. like the Expanse in terms of sci-fi rather than space opera. Yeah, but I don't know why you'd use Savage Worlds for a realistic game because Savage Worlds is about pulp and not being as realistic, if you know what I mean. Um, sure. So it's a bit weird. I feel funny about that one. I'm sure it's a perfectly good product, but the website put me off because it was full of comparisons to other games and why it was better than them, rather than telling me about why their good, the game was good, if you know what I mean. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, right. So it, like you say, it's a pretty diverse list. Um, let me just chuck this out there straight away, mate, see what you think of this. There's one, two, three, four, five nominees for Best Adventure out of a year's worth of... Uh, releases um i'm i'm not convinced that anyone has played all of these things and i mean all of them so is it is it fair or am i being unfair to suggest that you would need to have played these adventures to know whether they were the best or not now this is voted for by the public at this stage it's not done by a judging panel who uh, maybe have got the time and the resources to sit down and work their way through these you know, like in the Booker Prize, yeah. where the judging panel have read all the books, which <laughs> doesn't sound that revolutionary an idea, does it? But for this one, this is voted for by the public, as most of them are. And you just go onto a website and you go, this is my favourite one, and this is my second favourite one, this is my third favourite one. I think it would be a pretty good year if you had played five fairly lengthy campaigns or adventures, because none of those are short. They're all either complete campaign books or lots of one-shots or a world-spanning campaign. Is it is it perhaps then just a popularity contest at that stage? I don't. I have no idea who's going to win. But out of those, Two Headed Serpent, I really like the look of, but I haven't even read all of that. Delta Green, I know you're a fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like OSR stuff generally, so I might click for Hot Springs Islands, but I've not read it. I just haven't read it. And and I again, although my finger's not completely on the pulse of the hobby, and it maybe never has been, I'm reasonably well aware of what's going on and play quite regularly. So I I, I feel this is an impossible choice. Yeah, so to a degree, it's a popularity contest. So you've got to be aware of the Ennies in the first place, or the publisher makes you aware of some, some do. In fact, some publishers have lost votes from me because they incessantly hounded me to vote for their product, so I made sure I did not, because yeah. it was just a ridiculous amount of 
badgering they got from the company, which is, if I like the products, I'd go and vote for it anyway. And if it, once you've made me aware that there's this boat thing happening, you don't need to tell me more than maybe a couple of times before it starts getting a bit annoying, really. Um, so there is that element of it that it's a popularity contest, or who can jump the most support, or who's got the best cult following, or cult of personality maybe comes into effect, or the most popular game. So if there's anything for D&D in there, it, it usually wins, or it certainly gets up there, because of the sheer amount of people that play it and vote for it. Yeah. The one yeah. good thing um, with the system, I'll just point out before you go on, is yes. that you can't hurt another, you can't hurt something's chances by voting for as a lower choice. Right. It, it just, it goes into kind of a runoff system and um, votes are counted later on if necessary, but like by voting something as few or fifth choice, that doesn't make it worse. It just gives it a marginally better chance of getting it voted later on if that's a necessary thing. So mm-hmm. the, the good thing about it is that even though it's a popularity contest, there's not a way of someone negatively voting for something, if you know what I mean, to try and knock it down. It just, it's purely around positive action, but that it is down to how much reach you've got and how many people you've got in your circles and that kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, you mentioned just then if there were a and d adventure, it would get voted up just because of popularity. Well, it's, it, what's noticeable to me is there isn't one. Yeah. Um, now that's astonishing. That is absolutely astonishing. Just on sheer volume, the amount of stuff that's punted out for D and D Fifth Edition in the last year, adding everything for Paizo, who are, you know, nothing if not relentless with their publication of adventure cards that come out, you know, with frightening monotony and regularity. Uh, then you add in all of the OSR stuff, all of the self-published stuff. Uh, have a look at RPG now at any point. It's, there's got to be 90 out of 100 adventures that are released at all are for D&D D20. And there's the Dark of Hot Springs Island, which may or may not be fantastic. I don't know. I'm sure it must be good to get in there. Um, but I, I guess the judges must have looked at the nominations, and the vast majority of nominations must have been for D&D type stuff. Must have been. Have they maybe deliberately chosen to keep it diverse once they've got to the shortlist? Possibly. It's certainly something that was levelled against the Annie's a few years ago anyway. They just had the same old stuff in it. People got very bored. Mm. Um, and I don't know, maybe the DD type stuff's a victim of its quantity rather than quality in terms of because there's so many of them and they're of a, of a type. How would you pick one out to say this one's the good one if they're all yeah. very similar, do you know what I mean? And then there are the options to put lots of them there and then you just like is what's your favourite D&D adventure, that might as well be a category on its own. So I don't know how they've come to the decisions that they have, but it's quite good that there's, there isn't something in there that's just going to suck votes up and win because it's D&D. No, uh, equally, I'm a little bit concerned that there's not like a standout D&D adventure that throughout the year, everywhere, this is the world, this is like the gold standard, why isn't all D&D like this? Or something of that sure. nature, maybe. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I, I don't have... Well, the massive things that Wizard of the Coast put out these days are not necessarily for me, but my God, they're popular, and they are of a high production quality. And it, it maybe it's a bit strange in 2018 to be going, where's D&D in the hobby? Um, but Tomb of Annihilation came out in last September, just sort of checked the release date on that. So exactly midway through the year. That was a really big deal, like a really big deal. It's a return to Isle of Dread. It's got all the production qualities that 5th edition needs. It's got jungle stuff multimedia launches across video games and all of the streaming stuff as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about later as well. Absolutely back to the hill. No sign of it in Best Adventure. Is it the Best Adventure? I don't know, but I do at least own that one, and I look through it, and it looks absolutely sound, and it's the sort of thing that if I were playing D&D, it would be 
it would be on my table. I'd be playing it this year. Seems really strange that there's that's on there, and you and I have had to have a discussion about what does Six of Swords mean. <laughs> no offence to Six of Swords, but I'd never heard of it till it arrived in that nomination. Yeah, yeah, that is a fair point, actually. Is if D&D games aren't in there, or the bases aren't in there, what's that one doing there? Mm, well, weird. we've never heard of it. I don't know. I, I, I'll check it out, and maybe yeah, that's the yeah. point of the nomination. I'll go and have a look at it, because I like good adventures. I like published stuff. We talked about this last episode, didn't we? Mm. Um, so I'm annoyed with myself for not knowing more about those things. I suppose, yeah. to one extent as well, it depends on the proclivities of the, whoever it is that's on the judges' panel and what they push True. forward as an already. Yes, yes, I guess that's the thing. Like, if I was on the judge panel, there's a very low chance any D&D adventures would make, because I don't read any. <laughs> so so yeah. I won't be pushing any forward. Absolutely. Okie dokie. What should we look at next, mate? There's um. There's a bunch of stuff about art. Very difficult to talk about on a podcast, I think. Let's <laughs> <laughs> use theatre of the mind. <laughs> yeah. We could describe some pictures. What is bizarre is on the Ennies website is they don't just show you pictures of this stuff. That would help, wouldn't it? I mean, I know you can click through and go and look and stuff, but maybe just put the best cover arts next to each other so we can have a look and poke at it. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's links to everything. We've got to have these pages and nominations. Mm. There's a link to our page, which I presume is the one that someone provided when they nominated the thing in the first place. Because yeah. there's a, um, it's not called nomination, it's a slightly different word, but you can basically put something forward and you provide your own link to it. Um, and disappointingly, when I was looking through stuff, some of the links don't work. So that's ah, immediately yeah. upsetting. Yeah. Some go straight through to a product page and don't tell you much about the product, so it's hard to judge if you've not mm. already on, if you're not already on it. Um, the, the one that I think was really interesting straight away was the City of Mist, yeah, which you clicked into the web, their website. It's a really cool website. Um, it's kind of graphic novel kind of look to it and feel. It's a kind of noiry setting. I've got to stop saying mm. kind of because it's bugging me now. I've said it that three times. It's kind of bugging me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the upsetting thing was that I couldn't immediately see from the page and navigate around it what the game was about. Really, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. it's kind of noiry and a bit superpowersy, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that, that's, that wasn't just like a text bit to say, this is actually why you, the game that you're playing. But from the <laughs> interior art point of view, which is what the, that category is I'm talking about now, uh, really good because the website gives you the, a full like, shotgun blast of the face of the art style. Yeah. Um, so that, that for me on that category is great. Uh, it was weird not to see something in the IT sections actually from the Swedish guys, the Free Ligan. Mm-hmm. who do Tales on Loop, which has had a supplement out in the last year, which I thought yeah. would have been up there because that's the same beautiful standards as the original book. Maybe people got tired of it last year and didn't want to nominate it again. But their stuff's like outstanding and a gold standard, so to not see them a bit strange. I think from the uh, the cover side of things, most of the stuff that's nominated the cover all seemed pretty good, yeah. uh, apart from Harlem Unbound, which seems to be a, a small press thing, and I think it looks absolutely awful. Someone loves it because it's in, it's in lots of categories and it's up there as a yes. a best art okay. cover, which I know art is subjective, but if you look at all the other items in that category and check out their art, uh, I don't think it even comes anywhere near close to being good. Well, it's very stylized. Yeah. Uh, I say that, and that maybe gets it the vote. It's certainly, it's certainly not a couple of heroes standing on a cliff edge like a Bon Jovi video with a dragon <laughs> looming at them. <laughs> So there's that. <laughs> Unlike some of the pictures, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, and and again, mate, that's totally subjective, and I totally, you know, back your opinion on that, and you can have whatever opinion you like about art, as anybody can. And you know, if I look at the cover of the Simbaroom thing that's mentioned here, the Witch Hammer, I really like the art in Simbaroom. Uh, you know, it's one of my favourite things about Simbaroom. I'll say that much. But that piece of artwork doesn't look like like. Simbaroom spectacular thing? No, I've seen I've seen do more. Um, so that's a bit odd. And like you say, if Simon Stallenhag's art can't get in a nomination this year, where you know his art is so good that people have written games about his pictures, then that's mental. Yeah, it might be because he, he dominated last year, perhaps. Um, right. the, the other one I wanted to mention, actually, was the, the Conan book, which oh, yeah. has got a decent cover, and it's Conan. So, good, you're on point. Well yes. done, everybody there for our direction. Probably what I would have liked to see, actually, is a party. So, the first thing that strikes mm-hmm. me when you've got any kind of property like that is, Conan, yeah, get that, totally on board. But what does a party of five or six players look like? I think I'd like the cover of the Conan book to be a bunch of people so that you could get an idea about what it looks like. Because otherwise, just look at one of Howard's books. You know, there's plenty in the library, plenty online. You can get a picture of what Conan looks like. So I'm not saying it's, it's inappropriate or anything like that. It's definitely on point. But from a role-play point of view, it'd be cool to see that with a Grace Jones figure and a, a shifty thief and an old, you know, <laughs> or a looking mage or whatever else you want to put in there to make it seem conan But how would you put a party together? I think that's something I'd like to see more of in games, especially when it's licenses. Is yeah. okay. We all understand the license. How do you make it work for a bunch of players? Basically, gotcha. No, it makes sense to me as well, mate. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's probably another podcast in covers. Uh, just generally, it's a subject that is. It's really people are really passionate about the cover of books, and I think rightly so as well. With social media being so prevalent, um, you see a lot of imagery being flicked around when new books are out. Um, I'm immediately thinking this won't be the last time I say these words out loud in the next hour. Where's Blades in the Dark? Because from a from a cover perspective, you know that those books are beautiful. They are literally works of art, and it's one of the greatest games that's probably ever been released. I think it's a real game changer, a a lovely lovely game, and I don't think it gets a mention anywhere through this at all. Now we're at risk here of going like these are of rubbish, and I don't think they are at all. Far from it, but it, by omission of some of these things, it does make me raise an eyebrow at what is included. Mm. So I think possibly like the, the best art cover compared to the best adventure isn't as diverse a thing like you said. There's about sure. four of them out of the five or six that are just good standard fantasy art or whatever, which is which is fine and perfectly good. But it'd be nice to see a bit more diversity, possibly. Yeah. No, agreed. Okay, Dave, so uh, other categories, purely in alphabetical, there's a few things which I don't particularly have much of a care about. Uh, stuff like best blog and cartography, you know, grats to those who were nominated. But there's one, should... there's yes, one for cartography I want to chuck in there, which is the Midlands, mm. which is a oh, yes. OSI setting in estuary. Uh, a dude who operates under Monkey Blood Design, he's done a lot of stuff on G+. You can, you can look up there, he does tons of maps and things, which all look cool and old scale. Um, so it's nice to see him do a little package product. I think there's a couple of things he's done there. Uh, but definitely check out Monkey Blood Design. You can you can see a lot of his stuff for free on G Plus or or other places. But I like that as a homegrown thing that's come out and is you know it's come from him just doodling about into actually producing a thing which people can buy now. Um, so for, cool. from that point of view only, go and check it out. I would say. No, you're right, mate. That that's actually up there for my list of things that were really good that came out last year. Not specifically for cartography. It's just that's the first time it gets a mention here. Yeah. I think it comes up again in some other in other categories too. Yeah. Um, and rightly so. 
Okay, well, steer me then, mate. Take me to a category where I can uh, I can get interested. Okay, I'll skip past a couple as well for you. Best electronic book. That feels like when well, most things come out in hardback and PDF, why you repeat yourself? <laughs> it should be electronic only if you're going to do a thing, possibly, but whatever. Best family product. Don't think we really care. The only one well, not really. Our, it's just not our jurisdiction, is it? No, kind of cards, which was um, the kind of Glorantham type of, type of game. It's fun. I've seen people play it. Probably no, because an RPG company got a Rhino Nissia. Probably mangled his mm-hmm. name. Sorry, Rhino. Uh, but they got a proper game designer to do it. Rather than try and do a half ass thing themselves, they just got a proper game designer to design a game, which I think is cool for that, that alone. But it's not really RPG. Yeah. Um, the best free game bit, I've skipped over, but that's marked me down as something I want to go and look at, because there's five or six free games that I can go and check out now. So yeah. thanks for the category, because I can go and check stuff out, I think. Yeah, and it's doing a good job for promotional purposes. And that's what awards are about, really, isn't it? Fantastic if you win these things, but actually it's it's a, it's a lovely bit of promo that people are going to take an interest in, like we've just done, mm. and it might send us off down some little avenues to find some stuff we wouldn't normally have done. Exactly. From that perspective, it's doing a really good job because for best free game, I've got no reason except time to not go and look at those things. I can only assume they're the best in their category. Why wouldn't I assume that? And um, yeah, interesting. I don't know about anything about any of them, which is bonkers. No, that's curious. I didn't either. Are they free? So you think I'd be all over it like a yeah. ration, have two of each. But um, yeah, so it is good from that point of view. They give you some exposure to stuff. It probably goes to show to a certain extent that mm-hmm. just because you give something away free doesn't mean people want it or even know yeah. about it. You know. True. True. Um, so best free products seem to be stuff full of stuff that's given away free on free RPG day. So that was amusing. But it's good to see that there's quite a lot of quick starters out there now. So RuneQuest and um, Eclipse Fairs and stuff like that. So it's good to yeah. see that like game companies producing something that people just pick up and play. So that's that's the right thing, right? So yes. I, I guess your um, your big one, your big meaty category for you to get involved in that is the best game. Mm-hmm. So I've got my opinions, but have you got yours? Do you want me to dive in? Well, let's 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 reel off the nominations in. So we've got uh, Delta Green the RPG. Uh, which is where I suspect I had you at straight away there, guys. So mm-hmm. there's that's number one. Um, in, in, number two, in no particular order, Blades in the Dark does indeed make an appearance uh, under Best Game. Uh, we've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah. Number three is Zweihander, the Grim and Perilous RPG. Um, then we've got Red Market, Game <coughs> of Economic Horror. And lastly, we've got Vert, the role-playing game. So one, two, three, four, five different games. We've got a bit of a supernatural... Horror, we've got some fantasy heist stuff, we've got some grim and perilous dark fantasy, Red Markets is zombies and capitalism, if I remember rightly, and Vert is based on the uh, Jeff Noon's novels of sort yeah. of a cyberpunk future in Manchester, and I could be selling all of those terribly short with my memory, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so uh, which one's your your best game? You had to pick one of those, Buzz. Just Blades in the Dark. It's simple, yeah. simple as that. Yeah. Safe me as well. It's definitely winning, I think. Yeah, and, and uh, I could justify that, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, <let's, laughs> I think there's there's some great games in there, but I think there there is uh, there's genuine space between Blades in the Dark and the other nominees. Uh, to be honest, uh, yeah. Blades in the Dark is it's its own thing. It's standalone. It's literally a game changer. It will genuinely change the way that some people play their games. It, it did with me, and it, it has done with a few people that I know. Um, it's the game I played most in the last twelve months. Mm. Um, 
So that's going for it. You know, actual playability. It's not just I like it in theory or I think it's beautiful, although both of those things are true as well. And, you know, underneath that, I'm looking at two games, Red Markets and Burt, that I don't know very well. I've no intention of owning. I, they, they haven't made enough of an impact on me to force their way in through my letterbox. Uh, Zweihander, I think I think we could talk about Zweihander because I think their time has come and gone. Yeah. And I don't know if that's entirely their fault. Uh, I think there's some strange things with Zweihander. Zweihander, for those who don't know, um, was kind of a reaction to the lack of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay in, in the marketplace for a long time. Um, and it's put together really as a fan project, but a beautifully produced one. But it's ended up being four or five hundred pages long, and it's apparently shifted twenty seven thousand copies. It's I don't know how or why it's managed to do that, uh, but but now that Warhammer Four is, I think it just dropped on PDF. I don't know. I think it's going to be. It's just unfortunate. It's like that year when two Robin Hood films came out at the same time, and everybody went to see one, and nobody went to see the other one. And the other one might have been quite good, but it kind of doesn't matter, doesn't matter. because it yeah. didn't have Kevin Costner in it. Yeah, I think the thing around that, I, I did get hold of the PDF, but as you say, 500 pages. Me just too. like, yeah, for the love of God, absolutely yeah. no need. And it's filled in a hole that arguably didn't need filling, but I think it just got people's interest. There's a certain amount of people still love the Waffrup kind of stuff. As you say, though, the real Waffrup's going out now, at least in PDF. Mm-hmm. And everybody's dropped right under, like, well, I say everybody. A lot of people have rallied to Warhammer, let's put it that way. Wolfrop's got a yeah. lot of interest straight away. Uh, so I don't know whether people have just dropped by hundred run away. I guess we'd have heard the collective crash of those massive tones hitting the floor. Mm. Uh, but certainly that now an official Wolfrop's out, I can just see that getting all the airplay. Uh, and there's yeah. not a lot of room for Zwayhand, unfortunately. Um, and in terms of a best game for the year, it wasn't, because it, it was deliberately like a retro clone almost, I guess you could call it. It certainly wasn't the best new game or doing anything exciting or interesting. Hmm. So it'd be a tough sell to say it was the best game of the year. Delta Green, then, mate. You've expressed your love of Delta Green on many occasions. So was it close for you, I suppose? No. Uh, as an overall product, Blades of the Dark is just better. So it's had a lot of years in alpha and beta and gone through a lot of iterations. And it's, it's just a super tight game. Mm-hmm. It does things slightly different than games have gone before. It's similar to Apocalypse World and has some other mechanics that are similar to other things, but it's tight and works. As a physical product, it looks good, and the gameplay is suitably different from other games and good uh, in many ways. Uh, I think as a whole product, for a best game category, it definitely wins. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love Delta Green and some great material. As a best game, though, it's the mechanics that are letting down for me. It's a mm-hmm. slightly different variation on a BRP-style game. It's percentiles. You've got the same sort of stats and skills you'd expect. There's some new extra rules in around willpower and killing damage for machine guns and things like this that I can see why they're there, mm-hmm. but for the fiddliness, they're not giving me a lot. And I could just use Cthulhu's Edition, or I could use the rules as is, or the 19... 19- no, it's 1990s version, that's a green, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the the text and stuff, they're well worth reading, definitely worth getting down to green, don't get me wrong. But I don't think the new mechanics are revolutionary or do anything exciting that we've had before, so I can't give it best game category. It's certainly not compared to uh, Blaze of the Dark. Okay. Okie dokie. Yeah, uh, and as for Verts, I couldn't even get through the novel, so I've tried, it's been on my Kindle for about a year, <laughs> I still haven't got the end of it. So I, I, I role-playing game based on it, it's never going to win for me. 
Okay. <laughs> so you're right, mate. I mean, that's, that for me is like, you know, that's the gold standard category, best game. But because we're doing this alphabetically, it, and when I scrolled through these nominations, did you feel the same as me? I got surprised later on to find that there were categories for best product and for best setting and for best rules, which seems yes. to be breaking it up into little chunks. I guess best product means it's not necessarily a game. It could be that Starfinder GM screen. Who knows? Um, yeah. But you would think it's up against also the best game. So I don't know. Did you want to? Did you want to have a look at rules and setting at this point? You know, the two bits that arguably are two sides of the coin that is the best game. Uh, we can if you like. Let's do that. Right. So for best rules, we've got Delta Green the RPG. So that's you know that's coming straight off what you've just said about the, about the mechanics on that one. So yeah, I guess definitely serviceable, but. What we're getting to you, I guess. Yeah, okay. It's up against Harlem Unbound, um, last seen in the best cover art. Uh, it's up against uh, and Harlem Unbound. Um, have you got the pitch for that, mate? Could you describe what that is uh, in 30 seconds or fewer? Um, no. <laughs> I was still into it. I remember reading it and thinking, that's not for me. Uh, one of the things that put me off about it was it's an exploration of racism. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, we'll learn something about that at the end. And I feel uncomfortable when an RPG stuff sets its stall out as we're tackling a real world issue. Uh, and I'm not saying that people can't play it and get something out of it, because maybe they can. It just doesn't strike me as that's what should be doing with our games necessarily. And I'm a bit dubious about people who say they play games and now they understand racism or something like that. And I might be doing it um, a disservice, so I'm going to quickly try and Google it while we're chatting away as well, just to see what it actually says. Well, I must admit, it's not a product. It's, it's not something that ever come across my desk, um, and, I, and I, I feel I feel bad for that because it's in almost every category. Um, I'm sure there'll be people listening to us now, mate, shaking their heads and maybe shaking their fists as well, going, "Why don't you idiots pay attention to what's happening in roleplay?" I thought, I did, <laughs> honestly, that this one's just absolutely dropped onto the innies, and it's it's all over it. I'm going to take a look at it. I might drop some money on it because I want to know what's going on with this game. That is, it's in best rules, it's in best setting, it's in best game, it's in best cover. I mean, if it crops up in best index, it's got the lot, hasn't it? I mean, yeah, there's I mean, not much best to say. It needs to be run apparently with Kilku. Starts again. Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition or Gumshee. Which okay. They're two different games. So that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, right. I'm assuming, and this this is displayed our ignorance, but I'm assuming it's more of a uh, it's more about the setting uh, rather than what system you use because it's got okay. bits of both in there. So, fine. Okay. I guess they're just trying to cover both markets. Sure. So not people like one or the other. Okay. Um, All right. I, I'm going to go and look at it though, just because it, it's done its job, the Ennies, in that case, because I will go and take a, a look at this because, you know, I don't know what I'm about. But I've, all I know about is what you've just said about it. And for me too, mate, it's like, okay, uh, right, this, you know, I'm not sold yet. Um, prepared to be, though. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's got good people involved in it, I don't mm-hmm. know quite a few of them, so it's not like it's got a bad pedigree or anything like that. Mm. But, I, but I don't know why we haven't suspicion. heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I'm <laughs> suspicious about this. <laughs> Let's move on to safer territory for us then, mate. Cthulhu Confidential. Now, I've heard of this one. You'd be <laughs> glad yeah. to hear. Oh, dear. It's good old got Pelgrane. Again. So, Pe- yeah. Pelgrane have their, have, I think they've had their Imperial... Um, their imperial moments before where they've just been all over the Ennies and they always are because they're a company that consistently put out good stuff and Cthulhu Confidential is 
how to play Call of Cthulhu 1 to 1 with the Gumshoe Engine. Um, yes. That's a new and interesting take on role playing that I think many people have tried before in the past. It's really good to see. I think it's good to see that someone's tackled it and put it out there as a game that can be played. Uh, it's Robin Laws, so it's going to have some stuff in it, isn't it? You know, it's going to be, yeah. going to be a, of, a, of a, a level. Um, and there's, you know, why wouldn't that be in the best rules? I've not read it myself because it's not my kind of setting. Have you had any experience? No, because it's it's not my bad. First of all, it's gumshoe, so I'm not keen anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then it's one-on-one role play, which I'm not keen on either. So it, <laughs> it's not really got a lot for me. I know some other there's some other games out there, certainly from the, the small press, that are just one GM, one player, or mm-hmm. two players effectively. Uh, I do, that's not what I do role play for. Mm-hmm. If it comes down to that small number, then you know I'd rather have a game of uh, something tabletop. Or you know, a war game, or a computer game, or a sure. game of cards, or a Necronet, or something like that. So uh, it's good that there's things like that out there. Um, I, don't, I don't really see why I would be interested in that. So I, I'm struggling a bit. Is this something you'd be willing to try? Do you think? Uh, no, it would be a bit squicky for me. I would just get a bit you about the whole thing, and that that would matter if I was playing with a stranger, or with my best mate, or with even with my lovely wife. I think one-on-one role playing. It's just, I don't know, I'm not even that fond of role-playing with two people. <laughs> it's like, it needs to be a dinner party sized or higher but to, to, to kind of count me. I don't know why that is. That's going to make me sound really weird, isn't it? But it is, no, I just don't I don't really want to do that. If, if there's just two of us looking for something to do, I have a list of other things to do that are more fun. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a... I don't know. Yeah, there, there must be a market out for that. There. There's, there's been several games that are one-on-one, so so cool. Um, and not just another entry from our previous podcast, actually, in the rules as well, which was um, Torg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Who would have thought? Um, it must be, you see, this is the power of our podcast again. As we've, we've mentioned it and summed it back into being. I know. Uh, I think they're disappointed when I clicked on it to have a bit of a look around with it. You need a deck of cards as well, so... Yeah, for some reason, like I guess it was fun when you first came out and you got a box and you had all kinds of kit in it. But when I'm <laughs> dropping fifty quid in a hardback book and then you're telling me to buy a deck of cards as well, a bit kind of like I don't want to try this game out anymore. Where's the quick start? I don't know. I mean, it might be fine. I've not looked at it, but it's <laughs> where's your easy access point? I guess I'm saying. So for people like us, we remember talk. Yeah. If you're a new gamer, what I'm a bit curious about here is. How do you get into it? What makes you think, I've got, say, 70 to $100 and I want to buy a new game. Mm-hmm. Why would you pick this one over picking D&D or one of the other games that are in the best rules category, for example? Uh, well, you might be one of the people who played it back in the day. And uh, you've got like, your rosy-tinted glasses of nostalgia on and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I remember playing Torg and never quite gave that a good run out. And now it's all new and modern. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoyed Torg. I thought Torg was a really cool game. It was, you know... Never exactly first on deck to be played, but loads of fun to play. Um, and and it's and it kind of got revivified a few years back in a really bad way as well. So it's like the third or fourth time it's come back, like a cartoon villain. But one of the things that kind of gives me massive hope for it is, you know, Shane Lacey Hensley is listed as one of the authors. And I know that Torg was a really big thing for him and, and that, you know, there was talk for a long time of wouldn't it be the perfect game to have Savage Worlds draped over the top of it. So for Shane to get back involved in that again, I know that it was kind of like a personal love of his 
um, that he managed to go back to and get to play with. And who blame him for that? And I think Shane Hensley is a really good rules designer. Really good. So if his name yeah. is on it, I think there's, it probably is a great set of core rules. But again, I think I'm going to question how much play it's getting. Um, I'm surprised that that's bubbled up to the top of the best rules pile. And, and I suspect if I think of other games that I think have got great rules, and why aren't they nominated? It is probably because they fell into the previous year or maybe even before that, because my memory is not what it was. And, you know, I'm thinking of stuff like uh, the One Ring is probably about 20 years old now or something ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. why isn't that in here? <laughs> yeah, it's tough with all the Kickstarter I mean, to kind of get a, a grip, because I know there's, there's like an expanse of RPG. I mean, there's, a again coming. there's the Waffle Wheels we just announced. There's New Legend of the Five Rings, which was on beta, but hasn't actually properly come out yet. There's yeah. New Manera 2. Uh, the Witcher Rune Quest has been re released with its new edition. Forbidden Lands, one of the Free Ligum things, which is like a hex crawl thing, differently done. New version of Cults out. I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of like keep track of what actually could be nominated, but it feels like, of all your choices, that's quite out of left field. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but it, absolutely it. And if someone can run it at an adventure, an adventure convention for me, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd happily play Talk Eternity. Unlike Cthulhu's Potential, probably Harlem Unbound. And for me, I doubt I'd sign up for Delta Green. I'd sign up to play Talk Eternity. So, you know, great. Yeah. And, and, and if I do see it, I'll definitely sign up to play it now because I want to see what these new rules are like. So, mm. happy days. But, uh, yeah, I'm not dropping 50 quid on a book and then some more money on the cards just yeah. because they're nominated. I'm going to need a bit more. Yeah. So that kind of leaves us with Star Trek Adventures, doesn't it? Which yeah, you're all welcome to it. <laughs> is... So what can I say about this? I've not played it, in fairness. Um, the book looks nice, so it could like get ticks in the categories for sure. It's a treatment of the TD20 system, which is mm-hmm. the house system uh, for Modifius. Um What my view is based on people I've talked to that have played it is that it seems to be quite heavily combat focused in terms of what the rules are about so they've taken the house system uh, and, and put the Star Trek sheen over it uh, but what that means is you've got like a ship combat section and quite an extensive combat section and in my mind that's not really what Star Trek's about so instead of picking a system that would support uh, next generation I think it's the default setting for the, mm. the first book um, which is all about counsellors and talking to people with feelings uh, it's all about shooting people or blowing them up with photon torpedoes or something. Uh, so I think it's, um, from what I understand anyway, as I said, I've not played it, but it seems from a mate that it's a, a serviceable treatment, but it is just a 2D20 slight variation rather than being a system for what the game's about. As opposed to, say, Conan, for example, yeah. which is also 2D20, but uh, little things of the rules like momentum and things like that, the guys really enjoy that in Conan. It seems to fit that style of game. I think they just used an engine that was good for, you know, sword and sorcery, and then tweaked it a bit with Star Trek without actually doing a proper job of coming up with a system specifically for it. But there could easily be a commercial decision for that, because if you pay a lot for a Star Trek license, there's a limit to how much you can do in R&D and coming up with something completely bespoke for that game, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, same, mate. I won't say again what you've just said, but... Yeah, my sources are the same. I'm not particularly a Star Trek fan, particularly, so it, it was never going to get a huge amount of play in my life. Um, yeah, they may well be good rules, but what I've heard, like you say, mate, they're not necessarily good rules that emulate the series of Star Trek that we've all watched. And that yeah. seems a bit odd to put it in the best rules category if it can't emulate its 
if it can't emulate its its setting well enough to be lauded for it, and it's not lauded for that, then I, I question its inclusion. Yeah, especially when the one that we mentioned, Blades in the Dark, isn't in there as best rules. Yeah. Which I think was the tightest rule set that came out last year, because uh-huh. it had been hammered so much by so many people and been through so many iterations. The one that came out uh, that is now Blades in the Dark is something like version 8.2. It had been through like eight full iterations and then mini versions in between. So yeah. how that's not included in best rules, what some of this other stuff is, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and by omission as well, where's Unknown Armies? It's in its third yeah. edition, so it's had at least two published editions on which to, to hammer out its stuff. It's written by Stoltzy. He knows what he's doing. And that game is full of innovations. Whether you like them or not, it's a very innovative set. And you know you're playing Unknown Armies when you play it, because you certainly wouldn't be playing anything else. It, it could only yeah. be that. So the rules and the setting are, you know, they're hand in glove with each other. And it's not there. And it's not in setting either. Odd. Really odd to not see Unknown Armies in there. Yeah, and it's curious that for best rules, I don't want to hammer Holman Bound fairly too much because it's not a book I've read, but uh, from what I understand, it's a source book. Mm. He's one of two existing rule sets with it, so how is that best rules? Unless there's tweaks in there that make it, but it's, it's not a rule system itself, so I understand why it'd be best product or best game maybe, but it's, it's a source book, so how's it in the best rules section? I don't know, a bit odd. Best setting. So, settings. So these days, uh, we spoke before, settings... Uh, settings are kind of ten a penny, aren't they, really? But I'm, I'm interested in what the best ones are because um, nobody, I think, well, I'm not particularly interested in reading 300 pages of like a, it was a dark and dangerous fantasy time when the world was split asunder. Yeah. I'm not particularly interested. I'm not terribly interested, I suppose, these days in new star imperiums and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what's dropped into best setting to, uh, to wet your whistle? Well, it's Harlem Unbound, so obviously. Cause <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that. <laughs> um, there's Freedom City 3rd Edition, okay, which is a superheroes thing, so I'm unaware of it anyway. I didn't know there was a first two editions, then I had a third one. Maybe you know more about it because it's superheroes. I do. Uh, Freedom City is really cool. Freedom City is genuinely really cool. Uh, and I based it off having the first and second. I've not got the third. I can't imagine it's massively different. I mean, because it would just be, I'm sure it'll be tarted up and the, the authors will say it's different. But it's essentially a superhero city and it's got all of the little call outs and the best bits that you would find in Gotham and Metropolis and Spider Man's New York and the Avengers Tower. And it's had all of those things rubbed off and new things put on there instead. But it's knowing and it's fun and it's modular and genuinely useful. And if you're a super fan, it would be impossible to like all of it, but it would be impossible to not like any of it. There's bound to be something in there. So it's kind of like the rough guide to the superhero city. And you would right. just flick through. You wouldn't read it from page one all the way through to the end, but you can dip in and it's full of inspiration. So I think that's actually really good stuff, but it's absolutely a melting pot. It's got everything in it. Um, so it, it can't fail to get into best setting, but if there was a worst setting category, it might fall into that too for the same reason. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's a very, very marmite. Right, gotcha. Yeah, um, I suppose next is, is the opposite. Frostbitten and Mutilated is uh, more Lamentations of the Flame Princess weirdness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, that feels like uh, it's a Marmite product. So if you're into that kind of stuff, it's uh, written largely, I think, by like Sabbath, who's one of the divisive figures of uh, role play, shall we say. Mm. Uh, and the, generally, the Lamentations stable is very much of a type. So if you like weird stuff, 
you will get something out of this. If you want a classic D&D adventure or something like that, you will wonder what on earth you've bought. So, much the same way as I wouldn't buy Freeman's City because I don't like superheroes, I guess if you're not into weird fantasy, uh, you're not going to buy Frostburn either. So it's, it feels a bit niche to me, mm. but um, the, there's a lot of people like that kind of stuff. So, uh, uh, yeah, again, I think it's a setting that's... Perhaps that's a good thing about a setting, thinking about it. Now we start talking about the, the qualities of some of these and that a setting should be unique mm. and a bit more might. Because if it's not different and something that you're drawn to and think, well, that's interesting, I've not seen that before, or it's got, you know, good, unique, or niche ideas, and then, then why are you buying it? If it's just generic fantasy, for example, there's yeah. a thousand books out about generic works and elves and all that kind of stuff. So perhaps the, the hallmark of a good best setting is that it is to a certain taste yeah yeah I think so I've not read this one um, but you can't help but be aware of Zach's work I quite like Zach's work I think he writes writes well and is full of creativity and full of interest and you know if you if somebody has obviously done said uh, Zach do me snowy environments for fantasy you're going to get back something that will that will make your jaw drop at various points probably make you squint at other points and your eyebrows will be flying off your head as well is you know you're going to get something different and i'm sure that's what he's done for this too i'm kind of pleased to see it there i'd be annoyed if it wasn't actually because that osr strand of weird wonderful and massively creative business so that's to see that in at the ennies which has been reasonably establishment in its history i think is a good thing yeah um, what surprises me is that from that stream we don't have veins of the earth by patrick stewart which which fell mm. in July last year, so it's you know it's within the year, um, and that's seen as an absolute masterclass of a setting book uh, for underdark adventuring. Um, I mean, it nearly broke the man writing it. We we interviewed him at Dragon League, and he was still barely clinging <laughs> to the table, saying, "I'm never going to write again." Well, though, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. So talk about a labour of love, and incredibly well received. And and I hadn't seen that much promo about Frostbitten and Mutilated, but I had seen loads about Things of the Earth. And maybe you can, you're only allowed one thing from the OSR that's cool, which is... Well, Spain's not last year, I seem to remember. Or if that Deep Carbon Observatory, I can't remember. One of them definitely was well, last year. just checked it, and it was published in July 2017. Um, so, you know, three months okay. after the start of this year, because it runs from May through to April. So, yeah, I don't sure. know. Don't know. Well, I'm not calling you a liar, but I'm going to check as well, because, you know... <laughs> well, why are you doing that? <laughs> um, I'll mention well, the next two. So, yeah, go on. Okay. We can talk at the same time. Right, that's fine. Uh, this predation. predation. Now, this is one I like the look of, but don't want to drop a lot of money on again. I don't want to sound tight, although I feel Yorkshireman because I'm from Lancashire. But um, it's it's one that's a little bit sci fi, a little bit fantasy, a little bit post apocalypse, and a whole lot of dinosaurs as they're sort of like pitching themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's Shanna Germain, I think, is Monty Cook's uh, better half. Uh, and it looks cool. It's got like slightly pulpy style art to it. There's lots of dinosaurs, so what's not to like? And I keep picking it up every time I go to one of the Sheffield conventions because uh, Jim has it from um, Patriot Games. But it's the best part of 50 quid, and it's quite a mm. slim book. Uh, and I've tried to check about it because it's a nice lot. I don't want to try to rip anybody off. And it's just the, the shipping costs of when it came across. Uh, US shipping went through the roof and there was the pound dropped and all the rest of it so it means it's got a hefty price tag uh, and it's a book I'd love to buy but just feel that the price tag for what you get, I don't I don't want it that much if you know what I mean, I don't want it mm. £50 worth if it was 30 40 
I'd have probably bought it by now, and I might succumb in October when I go to Fenris, but it looks cool. Uh, I'm just not sure. I think you have to like dinosaurs to play it, is what I'm saying. Not so for, young, <laughs> for younger gamers, I reckon it looks anyway like a good sort of gateway project, especially if I think it might be Cypher. It is. Or, or something, yeah. So it's quite a simplest system, and it's got loads of cool stuff in it. So it's probably a good gateway drug, I would think, for sort of young teens or something like that, if you're yeah. into sort of dinosaurs and cool pulpy action. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, on my gaming shelf somewhere, I've got uh, Cadillacs and dinosaurs and Brontosaurus Rex, and I've got I've got loads of games with dinosaurs in because I'm a sucker for that sort of stuff. <laughs> Do you know what I like about Monty Cook Games is they very well, not even quietly, I suppose. I was going to say they quietly go about the business of releasing loads of games, and you could not notice if you didn't want to notice, you wouldn't notice. But they've got legions of followers now. This was a guy who walked away from writing Fifth Edition. All right, he was a bit of a rock star name, one of maybe only one or two in the whole hobby industry. But he just went and made his own company called Monty Cook Games based on Newman Era and Cypher System. And it's still going, and it's going massively strong. And he's the king of Kickstarters. And in amongst all of that, they've released some really, you know, genuinely, um, well, just quality games, stuff like Predation, stuff like No Thank You Evil. They're kickstarting now that your best game ever thing. They they just you can be a fan of Monty Cook Games and there's an awful lot of stuff to like about it. Um, and Predation's yeah. kind of like a little standalone thing. And and I thought it would come out long before this, but that's the the long tail of the Kickstarter, isn't it? I think it's been mentioned for quite a few years. I hadn't realised it landed in the last year. I've never played it. I would play it. It's a real classic con game setup, isn't it? Uh, you know, we'll, we've yeah, talked about both our listeners before about remote controlled dinosaurs. So you know, we'd sign up for this, wouldn't we? If that was at a con, yeah, for sure, definitely. I think it looks good. I mean, that arguably, I could just take the idea and go and savage it, so I don't yes. need to buy the book. Yes, you know what I mean. That's what kind of what's put me off buying it. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or I could even cipher it myself, probably yes. without too much trouble. But um, it looks good. I guess you know I should let you perhaps just buy it as um, a PDF. But I think it, it looks a good fun romp anyway. Yeah, Cypher's found it's good to see people doing a setting and putting Cypher on it. And, uh, and Shannon would have, you know, as, as good an idea of how to Cypher a game as anybody would. So I think, you know, even if it's just purely an example of what you could do with your own Cypher game, I'm, I'm yeah. really interested. That's That's gone on to my list of if I see it at the right price in the right place at the right time. I love that, actually. Yeah. Cool. Just to uh, give you a Veins of the Earth update. All right. Because <laughs> I've been searching. Yeah, it won two silver innings last year. How did it do that when it wasn't released? For writing and best monster, so it must have come out in one form or another. Maybe it came out as PDF first, doesn't it? Maybe it won best electronic product back then. It was best writing and best monster. It won the two service one. Right. Well, okay. Well, I'm glad it got the recognition. I thought it had. That's maybe what kicked me off that line of thought. I'm really glad it's got yeah. the recognition. But now I'm utterly confused about when a game comes out. So I don't <laughs> so know what counts. <laughs> so Earthdawn's got a chance. Then are we saying that? I think so. Wow. <laughs> so, yes. Off our list of setting, we're just missing one. Yes. Which I haven't read. You may know about. I don't know. It's Starfinder Pack Worlds. Yeah. Which I'm sure is fine. Uh, it's just a big fat book from a mainstream <laughs> producer uh, with lots of words in Nice pictures. Right. I'm sure, you know. Is it Paizo Starfinder? Yeah. Is, is it basically Pathfinder in space? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, it looks it looks perfectly good. I'm sure it's great. Uh, I'm just at the age now where I can't pick up books that side and consume them all. <laughs> I'd rather have, like, a small book with some ideas in it 
and uh, go from there and make my own stuff up. Right. Okay. I really like Starfinder. <laughs> I really like it. That's all right. Oh, yeah, to. I know, but I like it for reasons that I'm not allowed to like it for. So, all right, okay. my own self imposed reasons for not liking things. It's, it's a guilty pleasure, this one. And you shouldn't have guilty pleasure, should you? you should just like stuff or not like it. But um, Starfinder uh, ticks every box that, that indicates it's rubbish. Um, yet, for some reason, I keep playing it. <laughs> right, okay. So, let me see if I can sell myself on Starfinder. If you don't know what Starfinder is, I would not blame you at all for thinking it was Pathfinder in space. And, and it is. But it, but it is, it is exactly that, and it's no more and no less than that, and that takes a little bit of unpacking because it's not like, um, like Traveller is or GURP Space or anything like that. It's not a science fiction game. It's Pathfinder in space and everything that that means. So it's D and D in space, really, and that means it's, it's space fantasy more than science fiction. And it means it's got fireballs and it's got magic and stuff like that. Um, but it doesn't. But not everyone looks like Thor in it. So you've not got like barbarians in space. It's not that kind of thing. But it takes all of the tropes of D and D and installs them into the far future. So the Pathfinder world is one of the planets that you can visit. So the best way to sell this to anybody or unsell it is it's the closest you'll get to Guardians of the Galaxy as a role-playing game. So lots and lots of popcorn cinematic action with you know bizarre looking aliens all rubbing shoulders together and nobody needs to know why uh, technology is largely hand waved um, things blow up there's explosions with you, you silhouetted against them diving out of windows um, and the setting which is what it's in this bit for the packed worlds I found genuinely really interesting to read like genuinely there's all of these weird planets like a subsector um, it's like the core of their universe and each one of them, over a couple of paragraphs, is like, oh, okay, wow, all right, so this is a planet that's completely ruled by the undead. Tell me more. Um, and that happens quite a lot. Unfortunately, what this book does, it tells you more until you are fed up hearing about it. it it's, you know, the gazetteer that you get in the core book is enough to go and play some games with and get your imagination fired off. But we're into basket weaving territory by the time you finish the words. So... Yeah, I'm afraid so. So too much detail for me, but I totally understand why it's there. Um, and it is the encyclopedia of, of a future setting, which is different to every other setting that is out there. It's as different as predation is, and predation is probably a bit more stereotypical, right? Um, yes. It's, it's, and Freedom City is kind of like all the tropes mushed together. You know that Zack Smith is going to have done something new with snow, well, Starfinder does something new with sci-fi. Genuinely, it does. So, okay. I, don't, I don't. It's certainly not for everyone at all. It's not even for me, if I'm honest. And I think I might sell all my stuff. I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like um, you sort of the advice we give on white wolf box that you buy the core book and that's yes. you don't bother buying anything new. Yeah, stop it. Stop yourself doing it. It's just more reading <clears throat> and less gaming. Just yeah, play the yeah. game. Okay, sounds good. I'm not really sure we've come to some kind of any you know, idea about what the best setting is. No. Out of those ones. No, because why isn't Delta Green in best setting as opposed to best rules? Because I think there's yes. an argument that the Delta Green setting is one of the most best realised and well researched and just evocative writing of any setting for any game ever. It's, it's a wonder. 
um, and it ends up in rules, not setting. It's just weird. So this is just categorization yeah. stuff, and I think we have to move past this now because everything's in the wrong place. <laughs> no, that's that's a very good shout, Baz. Actually, if it was in setting rather than the rules, I'd, I'd say big data screen definitely. Well, so that makes a lot of sense. It's down for best game, but it's not in best setting. So it's in best game because it's got the best rules. Or, or just odd, just very, very, very odd way of looking at this. And and I suspect it's I don't know what the thinking is behind it. It's, it's done by committee, isn't it? So who knows. Yeah. Okay. So we we sort of like need to smash out the many categories. I think due to the time constraints. Um, best settlement again. I think suffers from that same thing that you talking about. That I find it unlikely someone's read all of the supplements. No. To then be able to make a comparison, so you, you probably pick the one you want. Reign of Terror by Car seems apparently very good. Yeah. Uh, sort of French Revolution, Cthulhu type stuff about the same time as Horror on the Orient Express. I think. I think so a Chaosium historical supplement, it's going to be great, isn't it? That's what they Yeah. yeah. And they, they've got some stuff in there. There's, um, there's a Doctor Who adventure and there's something for Shadowrun, bizarrely. Then you know it's still going. Starfinder's in there again for that pack worlds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mixed bag. I guess you just pick the one you're interested in. I can't say that I'm... You missed the low-life supplement. How dare you? Oh, <laughs> trying not to mention it. <laughs> it looks beautiful. That's another one that should be in the art category that isn't. So I think that's that's definitely one that's in the wrong category for me. Yeah. Okay. Just weird. To, just to see something that was a, a Savage World supplement, an early Savage World supplement, which really mm. puts a like year on it now. It, yeah. Or more. More. Look it up. It will, it will surprise you. And then it's a supplement to that, and it was never a big seller at the time. It was niche within a niche within a niche. Uh, I mean, I've got it. I've got the original one. I've not got this supplement. I didn't know it existed. It's obviously gone out under the author's own imprint as well now. Um, and yeah, that Mother Oif stuff it is really well drawn. It's not in art. I don't get it. Um, I'm glad it's there. I will look at it now. I would not have looked at it if it weren't for the Ennies. So they've done something there. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's some other categories like best website and best blog and all that. I think they're... Okay. <laughs> Without having to go into detail, they're ones where you can go away and look at it now. If you're yeah. into your gaming stuff and want something to look at, it's good to have a few links to things and you can go over and read around. Sure. See what you like to look of. It's weird having things like the Blair in the Dark SID as the best website because it's a really good website if you need to use the Blair in the Dark SID. <laughs> if you want something to read or any news about games, it's fucking useless. <laughs> so, why is the best website? I don't know. It's just an online version of the rules you've got in your book, anyways. But, that, you know. Yeah. I think we're good on trying to work out while we have these categories <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, best writing is probably the the only other big one apart from product of the year. Yeah. Uh, and it's mostly got the same stuff in again. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from weirdly, what is um, an encounters book for chill? I didn't even know people still played chill. Is that a thing? <laughs> is that monsters? Yeah. Yeah. You know that you had me as well. I had no idea. Genuinely, it's for chill third edition. Okay. Yeah, it's not in the monsters category that one. So maybe it's well written about rubbish monsters. I don't know. Could be, but I could definitely. I mean, from the others, you've got Delta Greens in there again, Frostbitten's in there again, Harlem's in there again. I would imagine one of those three, depending on taste, is going to be what you consider to be the best written game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you've got Zach Smith. I mean, you've got to look at the authors in this category rather than the products, I think. You could just have best writer of the last year. Dennis Detwiller, great writer. Zach Smith, I like his writing. I understand it's not for everyone. I think it's got a voice. I like it a lot. Um, Andy Hopp, a great artist. He's got the, the low life thing, the Holy Crap book. I'm not even making this up. It's called Holy Crap. 
and it's called yeah. the Great Sex Change Operation. Yeah. Uh, there you go. That's what constitutes best writing these days. Oh, mind you, you should see my stuff. It really is poor. But um, maybe I'll get an ending next year. <laughs> <laughs> I probably... I don't know if I should mention it or not, but I feel like I have to now. We've mentioned Zach a few times. Yeah. One of the downsides is and why he's controversial is, although he says right, and I agree with you, Baz, um, he did cause a bit of a scene at the end his last year as well, the awards, and started shouting about how he's better than everybody else, and that sort of thing. You know, it's a bit of a stormy teacup, but um, what I'd like to see is people who have got a talent to uh, show it, show it this, the product, mm-hmm. and just do good stuff, and don't try and stir up controversy for the sake of it, but there you go. There's a side by now from me. Yeah, be more like Greg Stoltzy, who is a great writer and writes stuff so you can find out what he thinks about. Yes, quality. So that brings us up to, I think, the product of the year. Woohoo! And this is surely where our podcast gets a mention, right? (laughs) Is it the Smart Zine, issue one? We worded the podcast number these, which is a shame. It's probably due to the fact we didn't nominate ourselves, (laughs) thinking that one one of our two listeners would have done that. But they've been slovenly, so next year we'll have to nominate ourselves, Baz. It's the other way forward. I thought you were doing it. You thought I was doing it. Oh, it saved the embarrassment of two nominations, I suppose. There we go. <laughs> it does. So, product of the year is largely all stuff that we've already mentioned. Uh, with, yes. I think, just the happiest apocalypse on Earth is the only thing in there that's not mentioned at least one other category, and sometimes multiple ones. Correct, yeah. So, what's the... <laughs> so what is that then? The happiest apocalypse on Earth. Again, I didn't know this thing existed until I saw it in the Ennies. We need to give up this podcast, mate. I don't think we should be allowed to talk about role-playing games anymore. We're so out of touch. Or are we? Maybe well, it's the Ennies that are out of touch. I don't know. It's got a really like um, evocative cover on it with a, kind of like a little girl and a uh, carousel thing with a bunny mask face on all in black and white looking a bit weird mm. um, and it's apparently a blend of satire and horror Yeah, which I'm sure it's fine I don't want to get all negative about it again, again that I've not read uh, I'm just nervous as you are when someone tries to inject humour into a game so when I see the word satire I do start to think well I don't want to play role playing games to be satirical Mm-hmm. I can do that in snarky tweets. Uh, I don't want to be playing role-playing games about it. Mm. Um, but it's set in a, a fictional children's theme park, and it's a collaborative storytelling-type thing uh, with narrator moves. And, uh, so, I don't know. It's one of those collaborative games again, so I don't think it's really down our alley, really, is why we've not got involved with that, I would say. Cool. Good. Okay, Powered by the Apocalypse. I think that's the only outing for Powered by the Apocalypse that I've seen in the nominations so far this year. Uh, I, do, I don't yeah. count Blades in the Dark as Powered by the Apocalypse. Finally. No, it's, it's close, but it's not the right. same. And, and that's um, maybe that bubble's burst, uh, because there was certainly a rash of this stuff over the last couple of years, wasn't there? In fact, Apocalypse World 2. Oh, God, I'm going to check my dates again. When did that come out? Wasn't that this year? Oh, it must have been. Oh, I'm not looking yeah. Okay. I don't think. It probably wasn't sufficiently different to be worth it, if you know what I mean, so it was tweaks, but yeah, I don't know, did um, 7th C second edition get nominated last year, what was that this year, I don't know, we're all the flesh, aren't we? Who knows, we should we've do more done, research. <laughs> we've done more research for this episode than we've done for any of the past 
70. <laughs> we <are>. <laughs> we, <laughs> we seem less like, informed about it. I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you know, all this modern music is just bang, 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 and you can't make out the words. It's not like in modern days. <laughs> Why don't people use dice anymore? Why don't they do it on the phone and apps? It doesn't make any sense. I don't like it. <laughs> Okay, so officially out of touch, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. So, if it comes down to it, I think uh, looking at the price of the year, Blaze in the Dark, we've, we've banged on that loads of times, but that's going to be it for me. I, yeah. I picked Delta Grease the second one. Yeah, uh, okay. You know. Yeah, Blaze in the Dark for me, if, it, if, if I have a say, and I did have a vote, and I've used it, I think Blaze in the Dark is the complete package. So, it's game of the year, it's, it's product of the year. I think it wins a lot of categories for me, and I think there is clear blue water between that and the other stuff. And it, surely, surely you've got to have played these things at some point in the last year. Otherwise, it's just an echo chamber, isn't it? Maybe that's too contentious. I don't know. But I've played Blazing Dark Maybe. far more this year than anything else on that list. Yeah, I'm surprised if it doesn't win something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would expect it to win a gold in at least one category because it is, it's been so ubiquitous as well, hasn't it? It's been yes. all over the place. Uh, like Delta Green, if you're into Cthulhu stuff, you probably know about it, and that seems to be everywhere. But mm-hmm. I think Blaze has genuinely had a life of its own. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm saying. Unless you know, Paizo fans come running in and Starfinder nips it, maybe. Well, maybe. I think when Starfinder dropped, there was a sense that you know, with with Star Trek and Starfinder, it was going to be a big sci-fi year with the massive properties. The Emmys looks really diverse. It's so diverse that we haven't heard of a lot of it, mate. I think that's that's probably a good thing if I'm looking at it yeah. overall. Where this stuff comes from, I don't know. But obviously, the hobby is super vibrant at the moment. Might not agree with all of those nominations, uh, and maybe you know, maybe the power of fandom is enough that you've got personal champions or enough to get people into the nominations for what is, I think, probably the biggest awards that the hobby gives out. On a yearly basis, by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll know what's won, um, and you won't be able to move for them telling you about it. Uh, and like you <laughs> say, you know, we're going to get some emails, right? So there we go. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you said, the, the real benefit of the Emmys, even if you don't get involved in the voting or really checking wins or anything, is that you can just flip through. It's worth looking for products that might interest you. Not everything on the list is going to excite you, but there's links to a lot of different games and product pages and reviews and stuff. So it's well worth checking some out. And if, you, if you're wondering, like, what am I going to play next or watch over at a convention or what can I just take, pick up to read, there's like a good set of stuff there for you to go and have a bit of a way through and, and pick up some new stuff, right? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Okay, mate. Right, I'm conscious of time. This, this podcast is going to take longer than the award ceremony at this rate. So <laughs> perhaps that's a good time to wrap it. Um, there's more stuff we could talk about and uh, perhaps if you're a Patreon there might be some more stuff to hear about as well maybe we could tackle some other content um, just for our patrons later on so there's some stuff behind the scenes to talk about perhaps um, but in the meantime mate you know, thanks for your thoughts on the innings it's been good to catch up on a year of gaming I feel educated <laughs> if only at a very very shallow level <laughs> I now feel I know less than I did when we started the podcast <laughs> It's a sign of intelligence to like know that you don't know everything, I guess. That's right. Okay, I'm certainly going to go and look up some stuff, and uh, and I think we need to hand it over to our loyal listeners. Um, they need to school us. Um, so hit us up with some selmies, will you? Please <laughs> send us some tweets, send us some emails, uh, drop us a line, tell us all about Harlem Unbound. For goodness' sake, somebody has to. I need to know what's going on there. I feel blind. 
tell me what's going on with that. Uh, and tell me when did low life, the Savage World settings, weasel its way back into public consciousness enough to be awarded stuff. Um, so, you know, bring us up to speed, uh, you young'uns, uh, with your digital media. Tell us what's going on out there. Yeah, it'd be really cool to hear from you, uh, especially if there's some stuff that you think should have been nominated that isn't, or there's like some really glaring errors for something that's obviously great but didn't come anywhere near the categories for some reason. Uh, do let us know because we're always on the lookout for new games, and it'd be good to give some products a bit of a shout out if you're worth a mention. Absolutely. Okay, till next time, we've been the Smart Party. Cheers, everyone. Ciao for now. You can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy!